This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to talk about that love this morning. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to talk about moving onward together in love and light. Onward together in love and light. Ephesians chapter 5, and we are going to look at the first 14 verses of Ephesians 5 this morning. So take your copy of God's Word and follow along as I read. Ephesians 5, and beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love, as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For no one recognizes this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Father, we thank you so much for this precious scripture that tells us how to walk in love and light. And so we pray now that by the power of your Spirit, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to behold the wonderful things that are here in your Word. We pray that your your Spirit would deeply penetrate into our lives to to convict to encourage, uh, to do whatever it is that that we need today. We pray that that by your power, that your spirit would intersect in our lives this morning right at the point of our deepest need. And so, Lord, you do your wonderful work that only you can do now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is a big day for uh, sports fans like me because it's, it's kickoff Sunday in the NFL. And so now, uh, today, all of the, you know, the hot takes and the hype and the predictions and the prognostications, they just all go right out the window. 
because these teams have to get out there on the field and get it done and execute when it counts, when it matters. Chapters four through six of Ephesians are are kind of like that. Chapters four through six are, are all about living out the Christian life. In fact, the, the word that comes up again and again and again in, in chapters four through six, and we see it in this passage, is the word walk. If you're going to talk the talk, <laughs> then you have to walk the walk. It's about our walk. It's about living out the Christian life. And this passage is about walking together, walking onward, in love and light. So what do we see here? First of all, what does it mean to to, to walk onward together in love? Onward together in love. Let's look at verses one and two. Paul says, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Now, verses 1 and 2 are really flowing directly from chapter 4 and verse 32. In in the original, in in the the, the Greek New Testament, there there are no chapter divisions. (laughs) In fact, there are no no numbers in front of verses, right? The, The original just looks like one flowing letter. And so, Uh, chapters 5 and verses 1 and 2 are are not a different train of thought than the end of verse of chapter 4. So let's look back at the last verse of chapter 4, chapter 4 and verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in, in Christ. And so he's telling us here how we are to treat one another in the family of God, that we're to be kind to one another, that we're to be tender-hearted and compassionate with one another, and we're to be forgiving one another. And then he says, he takes that back to the gospel, just as God also forgave you in Christ. And so we are to, we are to imitate God in that and our willingness to forgive one another. Why? Because we have been forgiven. We have experienced his forgiveness. So he says, now you do that with other people just as you have received it. So it's that idea of imitation, which carries over into verses one and two here of chapter five. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. You know, kids naturally imitate their, their, their parents um, and that can be a good thing or a bad thing. It's kind of scary sometimes as parents when you see some of your, uh, your, your quirks and things like that kind of like being uh, parroted back to you uh, in, your, in, your, in your kids. But, you know, there's a, there's a na- they just, they pick up on things, which is kind of a warning to us as parents to be, to be careful about what we want them to, to, to pick up. Well, unfortunately, uh, there are a lot of parents in this world that are, are not worthy of imitation. 
But if you're in Christ, listen to me, you have a heavenly father who is totally worthy of imitation. You have a heavenly father who, who, who loves you. He says here in verse one that you are dearly loved children. The heavenly father has adopted you as a precious son or daughter. He loves you with a perfect love. And now as a follower of Christ, you are called to imitate the father's love. You are loved. Now love. First John 4, 19, we love, what? Because he first loved us. So he, he says that we, are, that we are to be imitators of God and the, 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 the trait of God that we are to imitate and the trait that really brings all of the other virtues together is love. It's interesting in the parallel passage to this in Colossians, he says that love is kind of the thing that brings everything else together, all the other beautiful virtues together. He says they're put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see, love is to be our distinguishing mark as believers. Jesus says in, in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now let's go back again to, to verses one and two. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as, as, as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us. And so the love that we are to demonstrate is a Christ-like love. He says, walk in love, how? As Christ loved us. So we're to love with a Christ-like love. What do we see here about Christ-like love? Well, first of all, Christ-like love is a giving love. It is a giving love. What does he say here about it in verse two? Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. Paul says something very similar to this in Galatians 2 and verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, Jesus says, for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son. And so godly, Christ-like love is a giving love. There is an inextricable link between love and giving. True love gives. You know, there, there are a lot of people who, who, who talk about love. They may talk about Christ. 
They may talk about uh, spiritual things, but they, they don't give. They're not willing to, to give of their, their, their time or their finances or, or whatever to, 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 to build up the body of Christ, to extend the cause of Christ. It's, 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 it's talk, but, but see, Christ-like love is a giving love. It, 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 it gives. It's not just words. 1 John 3 and verse 18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So Christ-like love is a giving love, and then also Christ-like love is a, is a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love. Let's look again at verse two. He says, walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So Paul is employing the language of the Old Testament sacrificial system here where the, the sacrifices would be, would be burned in the temple and the Bible says that, that that fragrance, that aroma would rise as a pleasing fragrance to God. And Paul says here that, that the sacrifice, that all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ for us, for our sins on the cross, that that, that rose to God as a fragrant offering that was acceptable to God. Christ's sacrifice on our behalf for our sins was acceptable to God, a sacrificial and, and fragrant offering to, to, to God. So what it's saying here is that a Christ-like love is a love that is willing to sacrifice. What does sacrificial love look like? You know, we can point to persecuted believers around the world in places like Afghanistan where believers are being martyred for their faith. And we can point to brothers and sisters like that and we could say, well, you know, if it, came, if it ever came to it, I would be willing to die for Christ. I would be willing to give all. And we should be. But are you willing to sacrifice now in your daily life? Are you willing to make the sacrifices now that God has already commanded you to make? Things like being willing to give of your time and serve in the body of Christ. Things like tithing. Things like taking time to, 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 to go to lunch or coffee with a friend who's not yet in Christ and being willing to open your mouth and share the good news of the gospel with them. Things like seeking out a new believer to come alongside and disciple and read the scripture with. Things like taking something kind to a neighbor in need. Things like stopping to encourage somebody, a coworker, or somebody that you go to school with that's in need of encouragement and taking the time to, to stop what you're doing and to give them your time and to encourage them. Things like 
coming home from work and maybe going for a walk with your family and spending time with them instead of vegging out on the TV. These things don't sound like that much, but listen, we have to begin to live sacrificial lives where we are in our, it's in our everyday lives. Jesus says to follow him means to, to deny ourselves and take up our crosses daily and follow him. That begins in our daily lives. And so, yeah, we should be willing to go to prison and die for Christ if it were to come to that. Yes. But to talk about making extraordinary sacrifices for God when we're not making the ordinary sacrifices that he's already called us to do is empty talk. True love is, is, is action. It's a giving, sacrificial love. That's Christ-like love. So onward together in love. And then in verses 3 through 14, he talks about walking onward together in light. In light. In 1 John chapter 1 and verses 5 through 7, we read these words. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We're called to walk in the light. Verses 3 through 14 are all about walking in the light. So what do we see here in these verses? First of all, walking in the light means fleeing the darkness. Walking in the light means fleeing the darkness. In verses 3 through 6, we see some of the works of darkness that we are to flee as believers. He begins in verse 3. Let's look at it. But sexual immorality... And any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. And as we talked about last week, the, 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 the lifestyles and the morality of the pagan world, which most of these new believers were coming out of, uh, the, the lifestyle in, in cities like Ephesus, the Gentile lifestyle was in radical contrast to the Christian teaching on sexual purity, sexual morality. The biblical teaching of, of sexual morality in both Old Testament and New is crystal clear. And that is that, that sex is the good gift of God that is reserved for one man and one woman in the context of marriage. Now, that was, that was not the world that most of these new believers were, were coming out of because in the Greco-Roman world of the first century, just like the, the Western world of the 21st century that we live in, Every kind of sexual immorality and impurity was rampant 
It was all over the place. And that's what a lot of these believers were coming out of, right? But, but now they have been given a new life. And so Paul says here in, in verse 3 that these, these things that, 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 that characterize the culture around you, these things that in many cases of the new believers were a part of their own lives and their pre-Christian lives, he says these things are, should not even be heard of anymore among you. In other words, and you could even translate that as not even a hint. Should be not even a hint of this among you. In other words, don't even get close to it. Don't, don't, don't play with it. Don't even get close to that old life that you're coming out of. And if, if you're ever in, in, in London, the, the, uh, the, subway, the subways there are called a tube. <laughs> and when you're down in the tube in London, these three words will come up again and again. You will see them, as you see here in the photo. You will hear people announcing this to you. And the three words are, mind the gap. Well, the, the gap is the, the, the lines there. You can see the open door going into the, into the tube, into the, the, the subway car. Uh, but in between the platform where you stand and the entrance to the, the subway, there's this, there's this gap. So mind the gap means stay back. Stay back. Like, Pay attention to the space between you and the oncoming train. They don't want people to slip and fall over into the path of an oncoming train. Mind the gap. You know, in in the culture that we're living in today with just so much immorality and impurity, we have to mind the gap. Don't get close to the edge. Don't even get close. What else does he say here in verse 4? He says, Obscene and and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. Listen, laughter is the precious gift of God. Proverbs tells us that it's like medicine. It's like healing medicine. God gave us humor. God gave us the ability to laugh. And, and, and there's, a, there's a healing in that. Jesus used humor all the time in his teaching. But filthy, smutty humor, no. No. Why? Because there's a close link between your mouth and your mind. And so, we want to mind the gap, right? <laughs> we, want to, we want to have pure minds. And so, therefore, we don't need impure things in our mouth. Verse 5. He says, For no one recognizes this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, Paul is not saying here that people, uh, people are, are going to, are to, to be excluded from the kingdom of God on the basis of things that happened in their past. Most of the believers in the Ephesian church 
were, were coming out of Gentile lifestyles where there, were, there was all kinds of sexual sin and lots of other kinds of sin that was in their past. But they had been made new creations in Christ. Listen, if you're in Christ, your past is under the blood of Jesus. And your future is just as bright as the promises of God. Right, you are, a, you are a new creation in Christ. He's not, he's not talking here, saying here uh, that you know, uh, people are gonna be excluded from the kingdom because of stuff that happened in their past, nor is he saying that, that Christians cannot lapse into sin because we know sometimes that does happen. But what he's saying is that if you are a genuine follower of Christ, if you've truly been born again, you will not persist in a lifestyle of sin. You will be convicted of that. You will repent of that. It will not be the the persistent pattern of your life. Otherwise, that's evidence that you were never saved to begin with. Look at verse 6. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Listen, the world is going to try to tell you, hey, don't, don't pay attention. To what the, you're, you're going to go by what the Bible says about sexual ethics or sin or, or anything. Listen, the Bible, the Bible is just, it's, it's, an, it's, it's an outdated book. You've got to get with the times. Let me tell you, you better understand the times. You better understand that the time is coming when God's wrath is going to be poured out on these things. And so there's a sobering warning here in verse 6. So walking in the light means fleeing the the darkness. And then in verse 7, we see that walking in the light means refusing to join others in their sin. Look at verse 7. Therefore, do not become their partners. Now, this is not saying don't be friends with unbelievers. It's absolutely not saying that. Jesus tells us that we're to be in the world, but not of the world. Yes, we can be friends with people who are not yet in Christ. We, we better be friends with people that are not yet in Christ. Otherwise, how can we win anybody to Christ? but we must not participate in their sin. In order to make a difference in people's lives, you have to be different. You cannot join with them in their sin. You know, in, in my own life, the, the young man that, that God used in, in my life to, to really bring me back to the Lord as a, as a 17-year-old, uh, there were things in his life that were very different. Uh, he, was, he was living a, a, a distinct life. He, he, he wasn't involved in the, you know, kind of the, the partying nonsense that was a part of my life at that point. So there were some things about his life that were different and distinct, and I respected him. I respected him. And there was, there was just a, there was a, a difference. He was my friend, but he wasn't partnering with, with sin, and then there was something else about him, and that, that was he loved me enough to tell me about Jesus. He loved me enough to tell me about what was making the difference in his life, and that it was his relationship with Christ. He was 
living a distinct, holy life, and and he was bold enough and loving enough to tell me about who was making the difference in his life and that it was Jesus. You be a friend like that. You be a friend like that to your friends who are not yet in Christ. Thirdly, walking in the light means remembering your identity. Remembering your identity. Identity is a huge theme in Ephesians, right? We, we are people in Christ. That is who we are. That is our identity. That's where we find our identity is in Christ. Look at verses 8 and 9. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So Paul is saying, this is who you were. You were darkness, but that's not who you are now. Now you are light in the Lord. That is your identity. In the film, The Born Identity, the film begins with this CIA operative who has been shot, wounded in a secret operation floating in the Mediterranean Sea. And he's picked up by fishermen, but when he comes to, he's suffering from amnesia. He can't remember who he is. He doesn't know his identity. A huge part of living a victorious Christian life is knowing who you are in Christ, knowing your identity knowing that you are a new creation. You are no longer a slave to sin, but instead you are a son or daughter of the king. You are no longer darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. That is who you are. And so walking in the light means remembering your identity. Walking in the light means living to please God living to please God. Verse 10, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. If our focus, listen to me, if our focus is on pleasing God, it frees us from that gnawing desire to gain the approval of people, to please people. You can't live for both. Galatians 1.10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So walking in the light means living to please God. Walking in the light means exposing the darkness. Walking in the light means exposing the darkness. So let's look at verses, uh, verse 11 through the first part of verse 14. He says, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is 
light. We know this, when, when you turn on the light in a room, what was lurking in the darkness is now exposed. And, and he says that we're to turn on the lights. He says that, that, that we, should, we are to expose, uh, ex- expose the works of darkness. Now, how do we do that? First, first of all, just by living a godly life. Because when you walk in the light, then your life is going to be a contrast to the works of darkness that are all around you. And that makes your life like a beacon in the dark, like a lighthouse that can provide a safe harbor to people who are in darkness. They're fumbling around in the darkness. They're drowning in darkness. When you're walking in the light, then the darkness that they're walking in is revealed for what it is. And people can understand the the futility of life without Christ and, and, and come to the light. That's part of it. And then also part of it is being willing to call out the darkness. We talked last week about how the early believers uh, did that. You know, they're, they're living in this you know, crazy Greco-Roman culture in the first century. It was the early Christians who were the ones who were, were, were calling out and, and writing about the, uh, the sins of infant abandonment and abortion. In, 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 the, in the first century. It was the Christians who were, were calling out the sexual abuse of, of children. If you haven't watched or listened to last week's message, go back and, and do that because we talked about this at, at more length. But the early believers were the ones who were, were, were exposing that stuff. That stuff had been done in, 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 in secret, right? And it, they, they exposed it, they called it out. And we're living in a similar culture today. It's incredible when you hear the discussions around abortion. The last thing in the world that pro-abortion people want to talk about is what actually happens in abortion. They cannot, they'll, they'll talk about choice. They'll talk about reproductive freedom. The last thing they want to talk about is what actually happens in abortion. They cannot bear to talk about it. And that's why Christians have to talk about it, right? We have to talk about what the sanctity of human life means. The Bible has always taught that. And now ultrasound pictures show, show, show to everyone, listen, this is a precious baby. This is not a cluster of cells. This is a precious baby, a human being living in the womb of its, of its mother, right? So we, we have, to, we have, to, we have to, to, to keep calling that out, right? Darkness has got to be exposed. You know, I, I think about the dark and demonic industry of pornography, which is so incredibly epidemic, epidemic in our world today that is addicting and enslaving people and just tearing apart relationships and marriages and just polluting minds. 
And that industry is just so linked to the demonic industry of human trafficking. Friends, that needs to be called out. Called out. There's a book that's being released on Tuesday by a a man that I really look up to in ministry, Ray Ortland, uh, called The Death of Porn. And it's about being men of integrity, building a world of nobility. This this has long been looked forward to. uh, And it it releases this this week on on Tuesday. But listen, this book calls that out. Everything that I'm talking about. Right? It, 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 light exposes the darkness. That has to happen. Walking in the light means rising in light. Now, he takes a turn here at the end of verse 14. What's this, what's this all about? He's quoting from something. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Oh, this is so cool. Scholars believe that what Paul is doing here is quoting from an an early Christian song that they would sing when someone was baptized. And when we saw Donald John baptized earlier in the service, what do we see? What do we see in every baptism here, right? We see a picture of what Christ has done for us, right? Person's lowered beneath the water, which symbolizes burial. Christ was crucified, buried, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. We see people be raised up from the waters of baptism, and you see, they would sing these words when, when new believers were baptized. Get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. <laughs> My dad used to tell me sometimes, rise and shine. <laughs> it's time to get going. Well, this is, this is kind of saying that too, but in a different way. It's saying that you have been given a new life. In Christ, which baptism pictures, right? And so we're raised up out of those waters to what? According to Romans 6, 4, to walk in newness of life. Rise and shine for Christ. Christ is risen. You are risen. Now shine for him in a dark world as you walk onward as we walk onward together in love and light. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ that as we take this walk that we've got a family by our side to do that with. And Father, how we thank you for our church family. We thank you for the blessing of being able to to assemble together this morning. Thank you for the blessing of being able to celebrate the ordinances of our faith together. We thank you for believers' baptism. 
we thank you for Donald John and just being able to celebrate together and witnessing his baptism today. And we thank you for the Lord's Supper that Jesus ordained for us that, that pictures in such a clear way that sacrifice that Jesus made for us, which was a fragrant and acceptable offering to God. And we pray that as we take part in it right now, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that by your Spirit, you would draw us closer to yourself and open our eyes to a deeper dimension of your deep, deep love. In the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.